0: Welcome to the Portrait Church Podcast. My name is Jay. I get to serve as a pastor here at Portrait. And in this new series, we are inviting you into Advent at Portrait Church. And Advent is a season where we sit in the tension as the people did in Jesus's time, waiting for the arrival of the King, the Messiah. And so during this season, we wanna explore themes like hope, joy, and peace, and love. And I pray that you enjoy this series as you consider the true meaning of Christmas and this Advent season. If you would like to know more about our church, go ahead and find us online at portrait.church or find us on social media. Hope to see you soon. And I hope you enjoyed this series. Hey, it's true, my name is Ruben. I do come from the Pomona Valley area. My wife and I and two kids, we we live in a a little neighborhood called Lincoln Park in Pomona. We're about a year and a half ago, we bought a 100-year-old house that we thought we could restore. And let me tell you right now, we couldn't. It was a community effort. Uh, By God's grace alone, we've made it a really fun little home, and I mean little, it's just about 1,000 square feet, okay? And it cost me my whole life. Like it just, my my entire being has gone into this, darn home and I I'm finding myself right now in some ways regretting it but also loving it we really do love you I, I bring greetings Paul used to say this all the time in his letters uh, if you're new to Christianity it's a thing trust me he would be like yo uh, I bring you greetings from such and such place and let me tell you that solid Rock Church is so fond of portrait church we've been praying with you for literally over a year that's 12 months for God's kindness is to continue to plant portrait right here in the Redlands community. And so what I'm gonna bring to you today isn't just on behalf of me, it really is on behalf of our entire church, wishing you and even imploring you towards good, faithful peace this morning. That's kind of what we're talking about. So if you have a Bible or if you've got a phone, we're gonna look at uh, the book of Luke, Luke chapter two in particular, and as you're turning there, I also just want to give my admiration for Jay. Y'all are very lucky to have a pastor like Jay. And even, uh, yeah, yeah, we can clap for Jay, sure. Uh, but but even, even just your, your whole leadership community here, all of the faithful people that have given their lives to plant this church. Uh, li- listen, there's something special about the gospel. It literally causes you to put everything on the line for the sake of God's glory and for the sake of your joy as you seek to discover the gospel and become like him. And and you're very lucky to have a community that has done just that here in Redlands, in Redlands. So thanks for having me. And thanks to your team for continuing to be faithful. It's hard work, y'all planting a church, but by God's grace, uh, they've been sustained. And I'm just gonna try to set this up, sorry. And they've been doing it super well. So by by that, Jay, thanks for your kindness, but all all the more to you. We're gonna be in Luke chapter two, starting at verse eight, if that's okay. As you turn there, uh, I'm, I'm gonna read this scripture. It, it's my custom that at the end of it, I'm gonna say the word of the Lord. And then you're gonna, remember we warmed up, it's 10 a.m. So then you're gonna say, thanks be to God. Okay, so I'm gonna say the word of the Lord. You're gonna say, thanks be to God. I'll pray and then, and then we'll jump in. Is that, does that work for y'all? Okay, great. All right, Luke chapter two, starting at verse eight and then on through verse 14, it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is the Christ, who is the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, so there's one angel, but then suddenly, there's a multitude of angels and all the heavenly hosts and they're all just praising God in the middle of this random field and this is what they sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased this is the word of the Lord let us together say thanks be to God okay that was okay let's pray God we are so grateful to you There's no doubt in our mind that this event was wonderful, that this event was maybe even magical. We rejoice in the account of this event. We rejoice in the testimony of this event. We give thanks for the endurance of the testimony of this event. No doubt that it has been secured. No doubt that it has even been preserved by you you, your spirit, and the church for thousands of years. And for that now, God, we pray that you would do what only you can do. That is something so special and supernatural in which, by which, through which, we are caused to worship you for what you've done. And all the more, we aren't just filled with knowledge, but we're shaped into the image of Jesus. It's in your name that we pray, King Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, the big question I think a lot of us have during the holidays, no doubt, is can you live at peace during Christmas? Can you live at peace during Christmas? If you if you got if you're taking notes, that's something you want to write down. Because probably it's the question that a lot of us are asking ourselves. I love my family dearly. I really do. I've got a close family. I'm Hispanic, and you know, we're not a huge family like some of y'all, but we're a decent sized family. I love them dearly. I'm married to an Anglo woman. She's, we don't know what she is. She's European at best, Anglo, I think. Uh, She, uh, you know, she's got a decent-sized family. We go to her family, too. And, And, you know, the holidays, they're kind of tense. They're kind of tense. You always got the one person that wants to talk a little bit about politics. That's awkward. And you always have the other person that wants to tell you about how they're into this random hobby that nobody's ever heard of. That's kind of awkward, too. And you got the uncle who, like, well, you know, you've got the uncle, they do a lot of things and you just think, oh, I don't know. Um, and then you've got the time that it costs. You know, we, we've, got, we've got these two kids, they're, they're four, four and a half and one and a half, they're great kids, we love them to death. One of them is brown like me, the other one's Anglo, like my wife. The other day I was in Trader Joe's, pushing my kid through Trader Joe's and a woman asked me how long I had been a nanny. That's how white my son is, okay? <laughs> I thought, well, just about as long as my kids have been alive, woman, ain't nobody done more for these kids than me. If that makes me a nanny, you can multiply that. I'm a nanny for sure. But anyways, the holidays are kind of, they're kind of wild. And I think that if, if you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian for any, any bit of time, you've heard of the gospel and the concept that the gospel brings you peace, I mean, you've heard of this and we sing about it even, right? Like, like we, we know that we see it on billboards. I'm I, driving out here on the 10 and I mean, Sam Manuel put up a billboard that says it's the season of peace. And I thought, what do they know about peace? Like what, what does a casino know about peace? Not a darn thing. But, but even still, as Christians, there's something that we've got to drill into here to discover so that we are shaped into the image of Jesus. And the reality is that a lot of us, we, we pursue this question, like, what, what really gives us peace? Like if we're being honest with ourselves, what really gives us peace? Uh, by the way, what even is peace, right? Like uh, Webster's Dictionary of Peace is freedom from disturbance, it's tranquility, okay? So in other words, you don't have the nosy neighbor, you don't have the loud neighbor, you don't have the annoying coworker, cube, mate, like you don't have that problem, therefore you're in peace. But the Bible has so much more of a beautiful picture of what peace is. It is not circumstantial. It is cosmic. It, it, it is not necessarily all about you. It is communal. Are you taking notes of that? Cosmic and communal. We're not talking about a little bit of peace. We're talking about a whole lot of peace. That This is why an entire multitude of angels showed up in the middle of a prairie or a desert to proclaim peace. It wasn't because Joshmo Shepherd had a rough day with the other shepherd and they needed to work it out. It was because something cosmic and communal was happening. And what I hope today to show you is what that cosmic communal piece is and why we celebrate it, why we rejoice in it, why we sing about it. This is what I think the scripture tells us about peace. It's a much bigger word called shalom. It's the absence of chaos and disorder, the presence of mutual healthy relationships between humanity and humanity, humanity and Yahweh and humanity and creation. I'll build today what I hope is a case for even humanity and ourselves, this inward chaos that we each have. You see, I think that altogether, Scripture is a unified story written by human authors and by Yahweh Himself or God that together points us to Jesus. It doesn't matter what Scripture you are reading, what you're reading is not how to become a better you. What you're reading is not about your own morality. What you're reading is not just about historical events. What you're reading in all of Scripture is about how to become more like Jesus. How to become more like Jesus. And some of us, we forget that. That's okay. I forget that too. Like I genuinely do. But we have to remind ourselves because it's where we're headed. It's where we're going. I believe that the story of Jesus' peace, the reason that the angels proclaim and shout peace in this grand choir army thing, multitude, is, uh, listen, I believe that that begins in Genesis chapter 3. I really do. And you're probably thinking, what? Really? Yes. Because remember, all of Scripture is a unified story. This is what it says in Genesis 3, verses 6 through 8. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that uh, it was uh, a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And listen, by the way, Adam is just as complicit in this nonsense. This is not about one person over another. It's about humanity in general, lest we forget the very meaning of the word Eve and Adam. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open. and if you're underlining, you want to underline this, and they knew that they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths, but... But listen, it doesn't stop there. The effects of chaos and disorder, which I'm gonna unpack right now, continue. Verse eight says, and then they heard the sound of Yahweh, the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It almost shows us or portrays to us that this is normal. It's normal that God's walking amongst them. They should expect it. And then this is what happens though. And the man and the woman hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh among the trees of the garden. They hid themselves. Now now listen, right here in the very beginning, what I see introduced through a crafty serpent who by the end of the story becomes a roaring dragon is I see this reality, hear me out, that there is broken relationship immediately between humanity and humanity, between humanity and ourselves, and between humanity and God, and i argue, we're not gonna talk about this today, but even between humanity and creation. This broken relationship is the tension, the space that most of us, all of us live in. There, uh, there's, there's a lot to unpack here, but immediately there's shame, there's trauma, there's rejection, there's the unknowing, the unbeknownst. There's, there's uh, by, by many ways, broken connection. You name it, and it instantly infiltrates God's good creation. And the only thing that humanity knows how to do is hide from one another and hide from God. Now, now listen, we live in a world where many of us do the same thing through different means. You don't have fig leaves and you don't have a tree but many of us hide in very different ways. I believe that Genesis three perfectly outlines for us the situation that we all find ourselves in. We wanna look good, we wanna look pretty, we wanna look like we've got it together, and so we hide, not behind a tree, but behind, you could say, social media. We wanna make sure that God is proud of us, so we hide, not behind grace, but behind performance. We wanna make sure that uh, maybe even uh, God is uh, proud of us, but we don't know how to get there. So instead we go to other things to give us joy and even just to give us peace. Many of us, we mix this gospel message with all other forms of spirituality, hoping that we don't have to face God, making even other forms of spirituality the trees that we hide from God behind because we're afraid of what God might think or because we're afraid of how God might respond. And I just want to say really quickly, I think that's very normal. I don't think it's abnormal. I've been a pastor at Solid Rock Church for 10 years and hear me say that I, I still struggle with this, if not every day, certainly every other day, which is no better than every day. I find myself in the same position you find yourself in. There is not a one size fits all. There is not a switch that we turn on. There is a constant obedience in the same direction until in the words of Paul, we are saved from these bodies of flesh and enter into eternal glory where we get to walk in the garden city all day again with Yahweh and never hide behind any other tree or leaf. And that's really good news for us. But in the meantime, the message is not turning a switch, becoming a better you, or finding some medium or spiritualist who could tell you nine steps to become the better you. In the meantime, the, the hope that we have is becoming. Becoming. That requires endurance. That requires our constant participation. And that requires, hear me out, our patience. Our patience. Because the reality is that you will not be the best you tomorrow. The reality is in a year from now, you may still have the same struggles. The reality is in a year from now, you're still going to have the busted up uncle at Christmas. How do you find peace? How do you find peace, friends? Where do you find peace? I love reading the news. Tiffany Haddish was recently in, she was in this little, interview thing that she did. I thought it was fascinating because it was right after the Haunted Mansion came out, which I didn't watch, not for any reason, except I just didn't watch it because I got two kids and I don't go to the movie theaters. But she did this interview. And in this interview, the, the interviewer asked the interviewee, where do you find peace? And the interviewer was trying to pull out of her the fact that she was Jewish. She, she was apparently Jewish. I had no idea. And so she said, well, I find peace in my Judaism and in the Torah, and I find God there. And I thought, what, wow, okay, this is interesting. And then she's like, and you know, I find peace in my daily horoscope and in what I read about the stars. And and then she said, and I also find peace in my my spiritualist medium who, who tells me what the dead want me to do. And I thought, girlfriend, there's a lot more anxiety in those three things than there is peace. But listen, so many of us are in the same place, aren't we? We're searching and searching and searching for peace. And if you're not, then you certainly know people who are. Maybe it's not uh, your spiritualist, and, and and maybe it's not uh, uh, by any ways your horoscope or or the Torah. But but we all have the tree that we hide behind, don't we? We all have it. The good news that I think we hold on to here, though, is that God has come up with, planned, a beautiful way of redemption, of joy, and of, in every sense of the word, healing for humanity. Like the gospel story is an unfolding one. Just, listen, we, we have flowers in our house every week. I don't know why, we just do. We buy them at Trader Joe's. They get us, because you walk in and they're right there. And if it's not me or my wife or my kid, it's like somebody else is like, you gotta buy flowers. So we buy these flowers. And we always buy the flowers that are closed. You know why? Because they last longer. We watch them throughout the week unfold. And they're beautiful. And they open. And they begin to smell good. And there's a patience to it. When my daughter was really young, she would sit there on the table and watch. I was like, sweetheart, I mean, I'm okay with this because you're behaving. But do you really want to do that? And she would, though. This This is the gospel story. It's this beautiful unfolding for us. It's right before our very eyes. And if we part out scripture to become a morality lesson for ourselves, we miss the unfolding. We miss the whole flower and we pluck a, a, what are those called? The petals. We pluck a petal for the sake of what we think is the purpose, but we miss the beauty of the unfolding flower. If you just read Luke chapter two and you're like, oh look, it's a really cool story and what a fun song. And you miss the rest of the story. You're just plucking a petal and you're completely missing the hope of the gospel. You see, the gospel goes on to tell us that relational brokenness only gets worse from the garden. It literally only gets worse. Like after this, I don't know if you know, but there's these two brothers named Cain and Abel. You can read all about them, and there's this unique tension that they have, even with God himself. One of them thinks I know the only way that I'm gonna find true peace with God because my brother's offering is better for God than my offering is by killing my brother. Then God will only have my offering. And you're like, what? No, that's not peace. And then it gets even worse because then this guy Cain who kills his brother, he goes on and he has kids and, his kids are even crazier. Eventually this guy, Lamech comes onto the scene and Lamech's like, I know. The only way I'm gonna have peace in my home is through polygamy and through misogyny. And so he goes on and he has multiple wives and he's just a total jerk to his kids. And, and you're thinking, what? how is there peace in that? There's not, only more brokenness. And so what you find is this multiplicative effect of brokenness. It only gets Worse, the further you read. And then God chooses this person who's like a a wild desert nomadic pagan worshiper, and he's like, hey, come on, like, I'm gonna make a great nation out of you, and I'm gonna give you a son, even though you're really old, and I'm gonna change your name to Abraham, and, and your wife's name to Sarah, and, and they're like, okay, great, let's do it, and then and then they have this weird thing with, like, a servant of his that he sleeps with, and you're like, what is happening? And if you're not a Christian and you're reading this, by the way, you're thinking, what have, like, what cult am I in, and why am I doing this? And I'm with you, I completely agree, But but what we see is, Listen, we don't see God being like, hey man, I'm orchestrating all of these, all of this mess. What we see is, is God faithfully standing by while humanity goes deeper and deeper and deeper into brokenness. And, and, and what he's doing is he all along since Genesis three has a plan of redemption. He's witnessing and not ejecting. He's witnessing and not ejecting. Could he have ejected from his people? You bet he could have, but he's faithfully standing by and witnessing, knowing that there's a hope to come, knowing that he alone can bring peace and orchestrating the gospel narrative. Now, what I want to submit to you today is that all the way through this story, which only gets worse, we don't have time to go through it all, but it'd be fun, we we still don't. All throughout this story, there are these glimpses of hope of a savior-like figure, which by the way is very normal for ancient Near Eastern cultures, not so much for us. You might think of like a superhero. So there's a superhero-like figure who's supposed to bring peace to the world, okay? And all along, the Old Testament authors they, they keep you guessing. Who will this person be? So that's when you see like the judges come into play, King David come into play, Saul come into play. Like you see all these, and you're like, maybe this is that person, but it's not. And then the Old Testament ends, and for 400 years, there's no, there's no speaking, there's no prophecy. And the question all along is this, who is the Savior? Who is the peace bringer. Because we've heard about it our whole lives. We've heard about it for hundreds of years. Where is this person? And, and probably an even bigger question that many of us are asking in this season in particular is, it's probably better sounding, just where is God? Like, where is God, really? Like, how could God allow these things to happen? Like, I, I, I recently finished studying the book of Job, which I don't recommend. I mean, truly, I, like, I, I just don't, but, but there's this, there is this, this question all along, which is again, where is God? Where is God? And I, and I think that the Old Testament authors, they, they do this. I don't even know that they do this by their own will, but they leave you guessing at the very end. So then it's not without coincidence that Luke chapter two opens with the angels singing this particular song, is it? Like, hear me say, all of scripture's unified story, both human and divine, that points us to Jesus. Like, it's not without coincidence then that we get to Luke chapter two, and the angels come and they're singing about peace from a savior, from a Christ, from a sovereign Lord. Like, that's not without coincidence, right? I mean, we, we, we don't read this, and it isn't like a random petal. It's all encapsulated. It's this beautiful unfolding right before our very eyes. It's like that perfect climax moment. There's a lot of them, but it's like that perfect narrative plot climax moment where you think to yourself, wow. I mean, here it is again. It's literally right there. So so let's just consider it one more time. What do they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's not without coincidence. Now, I just wanna summarize part of this story because we don't have a lot of time to go through all of it. But you see a very real historical event taking place. The author is so intent on making sure that you know what's going on. For instance, the audience are shepherds and ultimately all people, right? This is what the angels say. We bring, uh, well, they come to the shepherds and ultimately they bring good news of great joy in verse 10 that will be for all people. This is a very important fact for us. Number one, this good news, this gospel comes to shepherds. Now, you've probably heard this type of stuff before, but it isn't lost on us as Christians that the gospel narrative does not begin at a proclamation to, a, to someone at the top of a hierarchical culture or society. It isn't lost on us that this message does not come to worldly kings, that this message does not come to the rich, that this message does not come to the powerful. This message comes to lowly shepherds to literally like just common folk. It's the most practical thing you can think of. It bears no societal weight. It bears no societal manipulation even. It's a little hard to believe that an angel army choir could show up to shepherds. But it does. We have this thing at Solid Rock Church The thought is that we want to love people who don't look like us, think like us, act like us, dress like us, vote like us, or even at times worship like us. We want to love people who are not us. Quite frankly, many of us are in love with ourselves. And as a result, we only love ourselves in other people. That's a big problem. That's called idolatry. It's very wrong. And here what we see Is not the case. Like we see these random shepherds and then as if that's not enough, the angels proclaim a message to the random lowly shepherds, which is this, there is gospel good news for all people, no matter what they think like, look like, dress like, no matter how they vote, no matter how they worship, people that don't look like you. That's really good news. That's how the gospel came to us, isn't it? Many of us even found ourselves hearing the gospel as shepherds, as shepherds. Ultimately, the angels bring good news on a very real day. They say, for unto you is born this day, at this very moment, at this very real moment. It is the moment of God who has watched his creation, who has watched the manipulation, who has watched the relational brokenness, who has watched the shame and the trauma continue to multiply. It is the very moment that God chooses to enter into this narrative as his own creation. And it shouldn't be lost on us that it is a very real day. Not only that, but it's a very real place. It happens in the city of David. It happens right here in this space, in this place. And not only that, but it is a very real person. It happens, in fact, to be an infant. We have to pause there for just a moment and truly consider how it is that God manages to think that the best case scenario for the savior of the world to come into the world is through an infant. I don't know the answer to that question. Like, I've thought about this over and over and over. I mean, I receive my son, I receive my daughter, and, and the first thing that goes through my mind is how adorable, sure, but like helpless they are, like Like, dare I even say worthless? It's just like, you don't do anything. You literally completely rely on me, an imperfect, selfish person, to survive. And still yet, we see the miracle of God partnering with Mary. I mean, just think about this, this teenage woman that God partners with in a way that you could almost disbelieve. And gives her, the look at the the Savior, the Christ or the Messiah, and the Lord, the sovereign King of the universe. That shouldn't be lost on us. I I want you to give to support single moms at Portrait Church. Like I want you to consider the powerful, Joseph was there by all means. That was a whole weird thing too. But like, but, but there's something about that like the twist is that he's a baby and he's been entrusted to this family. It's almost unbelievable. And the message, the messenger, excuse me, these are the angels and this and this one particular angel who shows up at first, like don't miss the sequence there. The shepherds are doing whatever they're doing, I don't know, laying or cleaning sheep or chasing sheep, I don't know, but... But this one angel shows up at first and he's like, hey, how's it going, guys? And then all of the angels show up and they all start singing. And like, that's just a compounding moment for these shepherds. Like, like we shouldn't miss the, the messengers of this story. By the way, they've also idly watched the chaos. They've idly watched the disorder. They've also, watch the relational brokenness get multiplied. And, and then we get to their song. And, and this is really where we're sort of like, this is we're going to spend a little bit of time here. We get to their song. Their song. They could have sang a thousand things. Like they could have pulled a, a book of Revelation and been like, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Like they, they could have sung a thousand things, but they don't. They sing these powerful, Words that almost kind of sound like a little testimonial-ish. These powerful words. Like, okay, first they say, glory to God in the highest. And then they're like, and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. Like, like there's this wholeness to what they sing. There's these Jewish idioms. We have idioms, not idi- idioms. We have to pick up on these. There's this Jewish idiom that's used all throughout Scripture. It's whenever two words are combined, heaven and earth. It's a holistic word. It means everything. Colossians 1 is the most beautiful picture of that. That, that, it, is God, that it is God who makes heaven and earth through Jesus. It's Jesus who holds heaven and earth together. It's it's this Picture word that encapsulates everything for us. It it would almost be like we'd say, like a kid would come to you and they're just so excited about how much money they have. You know it's $4, but to them it's a zillion dollars. And you're like, what zillion is not even real, but that's cute, I got, like that's heaven and earth. It's this totally encapsulating, enormous word that if we miss, we could actually miss what the angels are saying here. The angels are saying, God who's in the heavens and you who are on earth, the totality of creation, all of it, a zillion of it, it's all being changed because of this infant baby who's just been given to this teenage man and woman. And they're like, "And good news, here's what's being changed. Glory's going up to God for it. And you're thinking, wait, really? This is intentional that there's glory to God? You bet. And peace is coming down to the earth because of it. And you're thinking, wait, this is the peace act? Are you sure? Like, really? This is it? I love brownies, by the way. I love brownies. I don't like chocolate, but I like brownies. I don't know. It's weird, but I do. My wife, she tries to make brownies healthier for me, which is so kind. By the way, she doesn't cook. This isn't like a misogynistic thing. She doesn't really, I do all the cooking in our house, but every once in a while she makes me brownies, okay? And every once in a while she'll make them healthy and she makes them with like black beans. Have you ever had a black bean brownie? disgusting. Not real. It's not a real brownie. It's nonsense. And so I, so she'll like surprise So you know, and she tries to put ice cream on. Like, oh, this is so sweet. sweetheart. And I eat it and I, and I'm not a good husband. So I'm like, no, this is trash. Why would you fool me? Give me the real thing. Like I know the real thing. Like I want the real thing. You know, there's a part of it. There's a part of this that almost feels a little imposterish, isn't there? We're like, whoa, 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 hold on. This can't actually be it. Like it's the adult Jesus who's the savior of the world. It's the adult Jesus. Like that's the real brownie. This is the black bean brownie. There's no way that this is real. No, this moment is so real that all of heaven rejoices that this teenage woman and and teenage man have just been given this infant baby and he brings peace to the world. That's how real this moment is. No imposter at all, only real, only truth. And the big question that we're left wondering is, okay, how does he bring peace? How does he really truly bring peace to us? The main peace that we see he brings as this story unfolds, which by the way, you have to keep reading the story, is that your relationship with God is now whole and healed because of the work of Jesus. Like this infant, it it triggers us mentally back to the garden and to the brokenness that exists there between you and God. Lest we forget that as God walked through the garden, humanity hid themselves behind the tree. This baby undoes all of that generational trauma, all of that generational hurt, all of that generational shame, all of that generational relational brokenness. This baby entrusted to these teenage parents undoes that. It does it slowly. It's not a switch, but if you believe in it and if you place your faith in it and if you practice the way of Jesus, if you long to become more like Jesus if you long to become more like Jesus, it slowly undoes, it slowly unwrinkles, it slowly unravels all of that that you've experienced. You slowly and obediently and consistently come and you sing to Jesus and you listen to the words that you sing and those words do something to you. You slowly read scripture as a narrative that points you to Jesus. And you read the story, say, for instance, of, I don't know, David and how he slayed Goliath. And you don't look at that and say, see, you can kill your own giants. You look at that and say, oh my gosh, the greatest giant was sin and death and the serpent. And Jesus actually slayed that giant in my life to the extent that now I get to rejoice with him and celebrate his victory. And you're slowly changed by that. And there's slow unraveling in scripture. There's slow unraveling in eating with intention and celebrating with intention and mourning with intention. There's slow unwrinkling in this relationship. And you begin to realize that God is not ashamed of you, that God is not angry with you that God has outworked this beautiful gospel narrative salvation for you, for us, for the cosmos, heaven and earth, starting with people. And all of a sudden you begin not just to experience that peace, but you even begin to experience a form of inner peace. This is all the rage by the way, right? I don't know if you know this, but there are actually more mediums and spiritualists in I'm from LA County, sorry. There are actually more mediums and spiritualists in LA County than there are mental health professionals. I mean, just let that sink in for one moment. Like we've got this, you don't have to go far before you realize that there's like a mental health crisis. People have this horrible view of themselves. Many of them, the only escape is being nothing, like many of them, the only escape is sadly taking their own lives. And just consider for one minute that the amount of people searching for spiritual truths far outpaces monetarily and circumstantially the amount of people seeking their own mental health. I just consider that for one moment. At the very least, we could say that those two are so connected that together combined, they're this extra existential experience that people are desperately longing to solve. And so what we see then is that, hey, as much as we wanna like try to be mean and laugh about it, like if you're on the right, you laugh at mental health. If you're on the left, you obsess about mental health, whatever, we're Christians. But like as much as we wanna do either one of those things, we see this as a very real issue, a very real, hear me out, consequence of relational brokenness for so many of us and for so much of our community and for so many of our neighbors. So what we have here is this peace that God offers even to our inner selves that says, hey, listen, I'll just use me like, hey, listen, Reuben, you don't have to be afraid of rejection. You don't have to be ashamed. Like I'm for you. In fact, I've seen you from the moment that you were incepted all the way up until now. I see you even in the future. And I don't want you to hide hide behind that tree of shame. I don't want you to hide behind your anxiety. I don't want you to hide behind those things. I want you to come out with them. I want you to offer them to me and I will take them upon myself. And you have to understand that that is not a switch. That is a constant obedience. It's a constant obedience. Like it literally, y'all, it's literally life long. It's an obedience for all of your life. I think and I believe not just that, but also that. Further pieces developed. As I become right with Yahweh on account of Jesus and his death on the cross, his conquering over sin and shame and death and the serpent, like as I literally align myself with that, and then as I do what the shepherds and the wise men do, as I glorify God and say, wow, I mean, who would have thought that God could do this? Like, who would have thought that good news could come? Who would have thought that peace could be proclaimed? As I align myself with that, I become more at peace. I become more like Jesus. I began and listen it's lifelong takes forever it's not a switch this holiday will be a little bit better than last holiday and the next holiday will be a little bit better than this holiday as I align myself with that more and more daily and intentionally then guess what I begin to be at peace with others and that's a whole other ball game of joy that's a whole other joy that we get to experience We begin to further understand the peace that we've been given, the salvation that we've been given, and we begin to extend it to others. We begin to extend it to others. Oh, this is too good. Watch. People we like and people we don't like, our friends and our enemies. And this is what makes the Christian message so distinct, isn't it? Lest we forget what Colossians 1 says, that we were at once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We were enemies of God. But in loving kindness, he moved toward us, didn't he? So what do we do as we become these peace brokers? We move towards others, don't we? We move towards our enemies. I'm mindful of how relational brokenness probably starts first in your own home. Like kids, we move towards our parents, even when we don't like everything that they do. Parents, we move towards our kids, even when they don't perfectly listen to us. Husbands and wives, we move towards each other in repentance in dying to ourselves and acknowledging that sometimes we're wrong single people we move towards our friends who have hurt us and who we refuse to talk to everyone we move towards others people who don't look like us think like us act like us dress like us vote like us or worship like us because the gospel is proclaimed for all people for all people this doesn't just make you a good relational friend or husband or spouse. This doesn't just make you a really good, uh, maybe, maybe, you know, child or parent. This makes you a really good missionary. The truest thing about you is that you are a local disciple missionary. That's the truest thing about you. And finally, this is where I'll sort of end. Finally, as we do this process... As we participate in peace, as we acknowledge this peace that's come from this infant and wonder how could this be, we give glory to God who's orchestrated all of it. And so what we find then in our own lives is this obedient circle, hear me out, of his glory as ever descending from us, from how we sleep, from how we rest, from how we work, how we parent, how we friend, how we celebrate, how we mourn, from everything that we do, not just Sundays for like an hour and 15 minutes, from every part of our lives. Glory is ascending to God. We're worshiping God, just like the angel said, glory to God in the highest. We're participating Participating in this cosmic worship. And as we do that, guess what? The angels say it. Peace is ever descending from the Father. Ever descending from the Father. And there are moments when it's good and we're celebrating it. And there are moments when it's hard and we're mourning it. That's okay. That's very normal. But as glory is ever ascending and as peace is ever descending, we find ourselves living in this constant Christian life, being shaped into the image of Jesus, celebrating the arrival of Christ and living at peace with friends and family and coworkers during the Christmas season. Peace be with you, friends, as you practice this and as you are made into the image of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in knowing that indeed we can live at peace this Christmas. We ask then that you meet us, not in our own being necessarily, or excuse me, not in our own doing necessarily, but by all means in our being. Would you come, oh God, even now as we worship you, would you remind us of your grace? Would you save us from that shame? And God, would you help us to become more like you? Amen. Amen.